Chris blew me out because when he told me, Alan, I'm gay, I'm not desperate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't it? Might have been, I wasn't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man Jeez a good job We did that fucking episode On self esteem last week Holy <laughs> shit <laughs> Mental health Mental health Mental health The mind is a terrible thing to face You're very welcome along to Straight Talking Mental Health The weekly podcast where we call it as we see it We tackle the problems associated with mental health In the only way we know how My name is Peter Dunn and this man here is Alan Clark If this is your first listen to the podcast Basically this is where I want to educate myself In every aspect of mental health And my mate here is a psychotherapist So he's going to talk me through it And in turn I'm bringing you along as well So we can all learn a little bit more And break the stigma around mental health So if you hear me asking stupid questions, it's okay. I'll take the flack for that because I ask stupid questions on a regular basis. So you can check out previous episodes where we dig into the likes of anxiety, suicide, loneliness, self-esteem and more. This week, we're going to talk about the effects of abuse on our mental health. What happens the struggle we go through and how we deal with it. And we have a very special guest joining us later on in the podcast, Councillor Chris Pender, and he's going to give us his story. So we'll really look forward to that. But first, has anything rattled your cage in the last week, dude? This should be a special feature, actually. What do you think? What's rattled your cage? What's rattled my cage? Because <laughs> yeah. we all get annoyed and we're all allowed to get annoyed and yeah. get pissed off with things. And Yeah, I tell you what I had, going back to, going back to what you spoke about last week and, and the stupid drivers. Um, as, as I mentioned in the last episode, uh, my obsession with Hamilton and my friend Karen organised a screening for, for Hamilton, socially distant screening. Uh, and I was going down thinking, OK, she got a little bit of projector here and maybe a, a Bluetooth Bluetooth speaker or something like that. <laughs> she fucking hired like a professional screen, professional speakers, uh, projector. It was like fucking, it was, inc- it was incredible. Um, so I was driving down to Sligo and every time I drive to Sligo I forget it's not fucking motorway the whole way like Galway or like it kind Cork. of is the N4 is not the worst uh, yeah but when you get on well but once you're stuck behind something that's it yeah you're there but forever I, I, had, yeah. I had a little epiphany then as I, as I was driving back um, the next day and uh a full bladder. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'll get me home. Like, <laughs> But I was about eight cars back and there were probably 10 to 12 cars behind me and we were all stuck behind one guy. Mm, that yeah, wouldn't that, pull that over. That is the N4 North, yeah, yeah. That wouldn't pull over onto the onto the hard shoulder part or, you know, and he was doing, he was doing between 60 and 80, 80 kilometres. But it just made me realise, like, if you think you can't make a difference in the world, <laughs> this guy is just evidence that you can. So there he is. He can hold up to, he can affect 20 people's day. Uh, he can affect the fuel consumption in their in their cars, thus leading to more fuel, having to top up. You know, you can you can make a huge difference in the world for better or for worse yeah. just by being just by being one person. Yeah, that was my that was my epiphany on that. But then, uh, but my time down in my time in Sligo was ah, oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, I, I hope I hope people watch it on Disney. But uh, I was sitting there watching it, and uh, I, I won't name the individuals. But like all I could hear was <laughs> there was a, there was a few tears, and it's like, well, I won't look over. I don't want, I don't want to make them self conscious. Let let them have their moment in in watching this with some of the some of the more emotional some of the more emotional songs. But uh, yeah. it's it's amazing. Um, and if you have almost three hours to spare, I would. 
I would recommend, particularly yourself. Three I need hip hop references you could get. Yeah, it's, it's like mm. two and a half hours or two and three quarter hours or something wow. like that. It's, it is, it is phenomenal. Did you ever watch a film where you know your wife or your girlfriend is in tears and you turn around and you go ha 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 you're crying? <laughs> 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 you know, but no, Peter, I'm not an emotional. I'm not an emotionally heartless bastard. <laughs> I am. <laughs> I'm like have a moment. That's okay. That's all right. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I probably would judge it on, on the material that's being viewed <laughs> mm. um, I remember coming out of cinema after watching um, Veronica Guerin mm. I swear to God it wasn't a dry eye because all you could hear walking out was just people going <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. you know yeah. Yeah. holding back the tears is, 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 there, is there movies that made you cry do you know what made me cry not too long ago mm. and I'm going to admit to this and I <laughs> I don't cry at your standard movies like your notebook or whatever but I'm going to get the name of it here okay Oh, I think it's The Week Of. Did you ever see that? Yeah, The Week Of is a movie on um, on Netflix. So it's basically Chris Rock and mm. Adam Sandler. And it's brilliant oh, for them. Rock, I, yeah, I Rock really, a lot of work with, with Adam Sandler. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because they're a rich family and a poor family coming together because their kids are getting married. So Chris mm. Rock is the rich side of the family. He's a, a, a doctor or a surgeon to the celebs. And Adam Sandler mm. is a plumber. And it's his daughter get married to Chris Rock's son. But Adam Sandler is mm. insisting on paying for the wedding because he's the dad of the daughter and he, you know, he won't let his pride take over even though mm. Chris Rock can afford this, that, and the other. But it's just a disaster. And there's just a lovely scene at the end where Adam Sandler Don't, don't spoil it now. I'm going to watch it. No, no, no. I'm not going to spoil it. I'm not going to spoil it like the Bible, you know. <laughs> he dies at the end. But he comes back for the sequel. I know. Um, how, how different would the world be if the Bible began with Once Upon a Time? Once upon a time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now you have it. Very different world we'd be living in. <laughs> but um, there's a lovely scene where he's dancing with his daughter at the very end. Um, you know, she has her first dance with her husband. Then she's dancing with her dad. And it's just, I don't know. It's just one of those kind of catching the throat moments where you go, Jesus mm. Christ, you know, life goes past and the flicker of an eye and your little girl becomes somebody else's and mm. you know you know you've got I've, a girl I've, I've had that moment I've, I've had that moment and yeah. I had that lump in my throat I remember one specific time when uh, Adina was going back over to uh, going back over to Canterbury and I dropped her at the airport and um, going up to uh, she was going through the security check-in obviously you can't go past mm. you need your boarding pass I had that lump in my throat and, and I had just had that moment of this is what it's all about mm. you know you 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 give them the wings to kind of take flight in the world, you know, and not about my needs. I didn't I didn't want her to go. I didn't want her to go back. But that would be that would be selfish parenting. Yeah, that's, yeah that's absolutely. Yeah. My needs more important than hers. But I had that moment of this is what it's about. You, mm. you just you just get them ready to take to take flight in the world. Let them make their own decisions, do their own things, yeah, yeah, their own yeah, adventures, yeah. you know. But yeah, it was just it was one of those films yeah. that just, I swear to God, for about five minutes after I sat there and I, I kind of, you know, you try and laugh off tears. <laughs> you go, I'm a fucking idiot. I'm just stupid. <laughs> you know? But um, <laughs> yeah, it, just, it was lovely. But it's, I suppose it's, it's nice to cry every so often. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, definitely. So it's it's an emotional release. We, we, mm. we need it. I mean, it's the first thing we do. Well, the second thing we do, you, you take a gasp of in breath, and then it's normally Wah! yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's how. And this is this is the problem. You know, we we think that we're we're thinking creatures who feel, but really we're feeling creatures that think. You know, but the first thing we do is we feel. We don't we we don't have a concept. We don't have a cognitive idea that we're hungry or that we're cold or you know the baby just feels a pain in its belly and it cries that then is a what we'd call a proximity promoting behavior 
mm. that brings the caregiver to, to, to look after the child. So the child doesn't know, oh, I'm hungry. Oh, oh, I'm cold. Oh, I'm hot. Oh, I'm dirty. You know, it just feels discomfort. Right. And, and the problem yeah. is then is that we, we start to over-identify with our mind and our thoughts and we, we get away from the feeling part. And very often that's because we've had to, you know, we've dealt with so much emotional stuff that you're going to have to cut off. It's like, no, I can't fucking, I can't keep going through this. Like, you know, mm. I need to just cut off from this, this emotion. So people that are kind of, that are emotionally repressed and stuff like that, that's learned. You know, it's a, that's, that's not a natural behavior. You know, we've yeah. learned, uh, uh, nah, it's just too painful to go there. So we get into what's called dealing, but not feeling. So you just get on with it. No, come on, right, come on. You don't, yeah. No need for that. Yeah. You know, and then you can get lost then in, in feeling, but not dealing. So, you, you know, you can't move past the anger, you, you can't move past the pain, um, and, and you're just, you know, you, you're just lost in that part, but you're not actually dealing with it. Mm. So the dealing, dealing, but not feeling, or feeling, but not dealing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so we're, we're feeling, you know, we're feeling creatures, and, you know, it's, it's and, and particularly around men, of you know, big boys don't cry and stuff like mm. that, and, um, you know, it's always, a, it's always a common theme on the on the show but no look it's 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 the most natural thing we can do it's a way of of uh, releasing it's that emotional release and it's hopefully eliciting a, a social response from from people that care about us mm. and you know it's good to cry it's good to have a good old cry now and again the, the one that gets me the movie that gets me uh, two movies uh, good will hunting uh because uh, when i first when i first came out uh, partner at the time was like oh my god that's you i was like oh fuck <laughs> uh, <laughs> don't want to talk about that <laughs> and then and then the other one is um instinct uh, with anthony hopkins you ever see that movie no uh, it goes off to study gorillas and he's kind of tracking them through the jungle um but he eventually starts to leave behind the kind of western world and he, and he just kind of gets gets accepted into the group of gorillas but there, there's poachers after them um but it turns out that the poachers have found them because He's been leaving his binocular oh, right. or his machete for cutting through, and mm. so there's a bit where he, he gets he gets accepted in anyway, and um, you know the silver back then kind of accepts him as the okay you're you're one of us now kind of thing, and then the poachers come along, but you know the, the silverback kind of steps in to, to to protect him, and then the, the silverback gets shot, and mm. it fucking gets me every time, and no, it's yeah. just oh, and I can even feel it, like yeah, <laughs> I can feel it yeah. in my throat, I can feel it here now as, as I talk about it, but it's like oh man, all the emotions every time, I can feel I can feel my eyes watering a little bit, uh, just just the thought of that, like it's just it's so powerful. Do any songs do that to you? Give you the same songs. effect? So the song "Wait for It." Um, and um, in in Hamilton, it doesn't doesn't get me emotional, but it kind of gets me amped up. And mm. you know, so he has the lyrics: I, "I am the one thing in life I can control. I am inimitable. I am an original. I am not falling behind or running late. I am not standing still. I am lying in wait." But you know, it's it's, it's belted out, and it's just it's, it's mm. so powerful. And, and the other one that's um, uh, not not so much emotional, but again resonates. Do you know Rally Ritchie? You heard you heard of Rally Ritchie? No. Jacob Anderson. Do you watch um, Game of Thrones? Never seen it. Yeah, well, of course, you're one of these, and then you go around telling everyone, I've never seen a single episode of Game of Thrones. No, <laughs> oh, I wasn't yeah. avoiding it. I just never got around to it. And then I heard the ending was yeah. crap, so I kind of avoiding it. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's good. It's good. But uh, Rally Ritchie or J- Jacob Anderson, he has a, he's a singer as well. He's an R&B singer, a little bit of rapping in his tunes as well. And uh, he has a song called "Stronger Than Ever," and and that was after I had the after I had the surgery uh, I had, when I had the spinal surgery and the tumor, and then a couple of days out of hospital, I broke up with James's mother, and you know a lot, a lot of stuff, a lot, mm. a lot of shit went on at the time. Um, but that that was a uh, that was a real kind of uplifting one for me, a kind of a kind of soundtrack 
for just at that period of my life mm. um, of a kind of inspirational one or just a kind of an anthem I suppose probably be a, a, a better a better term for it. something to see you through uh, yeah yeah I think some I think some instrumental kind of music some some classical pieces can kind of really resonate for me mm. uh, emotionally what about yourself is there any you got any um, bring a tear to your eye or would bring up some emotion for you one song that always did it to me and kind of came out with a blue was a song by the script called If You Could See Me Now. And it's dedicated to mm. two guys, uh, well, two guys out of the script, Danny and um, it's Mark. Their parents had passed away before they made it big. And they're basically saying, mm-hmm. you know, you've always looked out for us and you've always encouraged us. And, you know, it's just a shame you can't see us. But there's a line on it that mm-hmm. just always gives me shivers down my spine. I'm trying to make you proud. Do everything you did. I hope you're up there with God saying, that's my kid. Right, that's amazing because to me mm-hmm. you know you're always trying to make your parents happy and proud of you you know there you've got these guys yeah, who yeah, yeah, yeah. have amazing success one of the biggest bands to ever come out of Ireland you know mm-hmm. worldwide recognition amazing talents and they never got to show the people they really want to see it mm-hmm. yeah, it's always always about you know trying to please mommy or daddy you know, we're, all, we're all still that kid yep. you know and uh, you know, for for adults that I see, and you know, as as we talk about the the, the theme of what we'll be discussing later on, you know, you just go from being a little boy mm-hmm. in stature to just being a, a bigger boy in in height. And what I'd always say to clients that um, they talk about this thing of oh, well, I was a kid back then. I said, well, where do you think that's kid that kid has gone? You know, it's not it's not some entity that just existed back in the past. And I'd always point to myself. I said, look, the only difference is you know you you get a bit taller, put on a bit of weight. Get a few grey hairs. Like, you're still that kid. Yeah, true. Still exists. Unfortunately, then, there's times when you need, you need to kind of cut off from that mm. and recognise, well, okay, I'm not, going, I'm not going to get it. I need to stop looking for it. And as we talk about that piece around emotionally cutting off, um, and it's something I, I, it resonates with myself um, of that, that, that attention or that um, you know, recognition from my own father. That, that I fought for years and years and years to get. And then it was like, yeah, yeah, I'm not going to get it. I need to fucking, I need to stop chasing. Yeah. You know, and, um, and the better for it because, you know, you can only look for it for so long. And, you know, I don't say to the clients, you know, how long do you keep banging your head against the wall and wondering why you have a headache? True. Yeah. You just have to get a point where you go. So, no. yeah. So that, that, that's certainly that. Yeah. Jacob Anderson ones, yeah, the, the stronger than ever because I'm a big boy, an adult now or nearly. If I pull the wool back from my eyes, I can't see clearly. The world is at my feet and I am standing on the ceiling. And I fall, fall, fall. When it all comes down, I won't be crushed by the weight of the sound. I fall from the sky, but I won't fall forever. I fall, but when I rise, I'll be stronger than ever. Brilliant. So simple. That's, that's, that's anthemic. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. But you know, so I really, really like him. And actually, he's very open around his own anxiety and stuff like that. Um, he mentions, he talks about it a lot in his songs, mm. and, um, in interviews as well. Of you know how his anxiety affects him and the anxiety he felt then, just as he just released his second album now, um, and the anxiety and the pressure that he felt wow. uh, around that. So he's he's fairly open about it. Like you've said before, um, people are creative. Our creative people often come from uh, emotionally unstable surroundings, mm. and mm-hmm. it's almost escapism. Oh, absolutely, and it's it's, it's that you know it's, it's a way of processing, it's a way of expressing, it's a way of healing. Mm. And how many how many great songs and stuff are, you know, it's it's, it's someone's pain. Yeah, it resonates. And, yeah, yeah, and it's it's relatable for for you. 
True. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. How do we get on to that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, emotion <laughs> and let, letting out an old cry and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, and absolutely. I had, um, so we should. Yeah, and I think, yeah, yeah. I, I think we need to normalise it. We need to go, it's fucking all right to have a cry. doesn't need mm. to be Ireland winning the World Cup. And this, I mean, this is the problem. This is why we get so many emotionally repressed men that do a lot of damage because they've been damaged, mm. you know, and that's... The, the amount of times I've been the only person that particularly a man has cried in front of, like... Mm. you know it's it's like yeah that's what fucking landed in here in the first place true you have to be strong you can't be seen to be a little girl and Mm. all this kind of fucking bullshit you heard me go on about it in the episode on suicide (laughs) you Mm. don't want to get me riled up again (laughs) no no we don't (laughs) actually as I I mentioned as I mentioned the episode on suicide um, obviously you know I talk about my experience my personal experience on this and they talk about, you know, relatable stuff from, from, from clients presenting issues and stuff like that. Um, and it's and it's always easy to talk about, you know, clients from the past because, you know, I, I don't see them anymore and stuff like that. But a couple of clients that, that I have, and I've been very conscious of it, of going, well, what's that, what's that experience for them going to be like that? Listen to the podcast. Mm. So any of the ones that, that, that have listened to it, I've checked in with them going, well, what, what was that like to hear that? And. Yeah, they found it very relatable and, and, and felt that it, it, it humanized me, you know. So as I said, I, I only self-disclose when it's when it's necessary for, mm-hmm. for a client. Um, so some know something about me, some some saw nothing. They don't they don't need to. Um, others need to. They need to have that relatable piece. Mm. Uh, one, one client was when she was at home, she had the headphones in, she was like, it was weird. It was like you're in my house. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was like, oh, sorry about that. <laughs> um, and then, uh, and the reason I'll talk about this one is because I asked the client, would it be okay to talk about it on, on the episode? And then she said, oh yeah, absolutely. And she had listened to the episode on suicide and she texted me after listening to it and she goes, you know, thought it was very brave and stuff like that. And she got quite emotional talking about it because she had considered suicide herself not so long ago and hadn't hadn't spoken about it anyway. And she said to me, she, I was listening and she goes, oh, you're a bit of a fucking dark horse. She said, well, is what I was thinking. And I said, why is that? So, well, you know, I, I spoke about it here and you never really mentioned it. I said, well, look, it was a long time ago. It wasn't it wasn't relevant to, to, to what you were going through. She got quite emotional and, you know, I said, well, what is it that's, that's bringing up that emotion? And she said it was just to know that she wasn't alone. Mm. Just that she was able to relate to it. And that's why, you know, I'm always putting the prompt out there to people to email us in, to to contact us with their story, just so people know they're not the only ones to go through it. True. That's the killer part for people is that they they think there's something wrong with them or they think that they're going mad. And then I come along and and I normalize it and go, no, no, well, that's that's actually perfectly normal. If that happened to you, then this is how you would respond to that. Mm. And as we go on to talk about, um, you know, and, and the core piece around what we'll speak with, with Chris is around um, sexual abuse. And, what, you know, what I say to people is it's, it's not what's wrong with you. It's about what's happened to you. And, mm. and, and that needs to be understood. This is how you would react. This is what would happen in response or in reaction to experiences like that. And and this is and I spoke about it before around doing my master's. My master's is in child and adolescent psychotherapy, but I don't work with young kids. But I reverse engineer adults. Mm. So this stuff that has happened in childhood, well, if that happens, then usually what happens is da 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 da, da and they're like, that's exactly how I am. Yeah. Or they tell me how they are in, in the here and now, and I go, well, did this happen? Did that happen? It's like, yeah, that's exactly what happened. So yeah, like, yeah. okay. Yeah, so it normalizes it. And for her, it was just hearing that she wasn't alone in that, you know, someone else has had those thoughts, someone else has, 
has come that close. Um, yeah, as you say there, we're always looking for people to get in touch and get in contact. Well, next week we're going to be recording a special podcast called In Session. So in order to do this, we need our listeners to help us. So if there's anything you want to ask a psychotherapist, anything you're struggling with or wondering about, if you've got a story to tell of how you've overcome your difficulties, please do get in touch and Alan will do his best to talk you through it as best as he can. So it'll all be treated in the strictest of confidence and uh, should you wish to be anonymous, that is perfectly, perfectly fine. So you can get in touch via email to straighttalkingpodcast at gmail.com we're on facebook as well if you search straight talking mental health or we're on twitter as well at str8 talking pod on instagram if you want to get in touch with us there either now it's time to welcome our guest i'm delighted to introduce to the podcast counselor chris pender hey chris how are you i'm absolutely wonderful and please try not to use the term counselor too much (laughs) (laughs) that dirty secret of yours yeah let me give you a bit of background on chris here he's a local community and youth activist he's working in the service industry and he's originally from tala he's been living working and volunteering in newbridge since the age of 15 and he believes that it's only through unity and community and working together that we can truly shape Ireland for tomorrow Chris I totally ripped that from the Social Democrats website so I was that's about not to say me. somebody's re- somebody's reading my bio on the website I wrote that yeah, one yeah. myself I, <laughs> I was just going to say was why don't you tell us a bit about yourself but starting off with uh, Chris Bender and that's oh Christ on a bike that one again <laughs> um, I don't know Chris and I mean this this is some story I, I'm honestly surprised people don't know with the amount of reach it got on bloody social media at the time I suppose it goes back to a story uh, um, when I was running for the local elections. Um, now, I'm, I'm an openly gay man. I was running for local election. My surname is Pender. So to be honest, I was expecting the P to be turned to a B. Like, I mean, who doesn't? <laughs> Uh, and and like it, like I mean even even my like even my secondary school bullies were more imaginative like I mean at least with them they used to call me the gender bender rear ender. Fast forward to May of last year, just before the locals, and um, on my way home from on my way home from a night of canvassing, and myself and myself and my campaign manager at the time, Linda. Uh, happened across a poster of mine that was vandalised um, and it was like I mean to be fair it was horrendously vandalised and I say horrendously vandalised because it was the most useless piece of vandalism I have ever seen in my life like this is a poster that was down at ground level it was easy to reach all of this kind of stuff you could have done a quick bit of vandalism on it not that I condone poster vandalism (laughs) but if you're going to do it do it right Um, and we spotted this poster and and scrawled across my face was I'm as gay as your dad now firstly it made no grammatic sense like, no grammatic sense whatsoever. Secondly, mm. if if their father's gay, well, I mean, I am single, so I wouldn't mind an introduction. Um, <laughs> and secondly, my name was right on the bottom of that poster. Literally, all they had to do was change the P to a B. I like I I suppose to be fair to them, it was quite down, low down on the ground, so they probably didn't want to stoop that low. Um, <laughs> I like it I outside like of vandalism. It. You mean? 
but but it was it was it was now to be fair I think whomever was doing it was kind of doing it as a joke um, I don't tend to be sensitive to that kind of a carry on to be fair and, mm. and to be fair to them they did draw a nice smiley face on the end of it so oh, I, I yeah. still I still have that poster in my room it's it, like, it, like it, I still have the poster here in the house it's not because Brilliant. like it's not because I'm vain or anything although I have no issue looking at my own face but it's it's just I, I like that that happened on the eve of the the anniversary of marriage equality and it was just it was honestly it was it was perfect timing so perfect in fact that like there was 50 million people out there accusing me of doing it myself to be honest <laughs> i would have done a better job i would have done a much much better job <laughs> What happens when it when it hits online, Chris? Oh, uh, <laughs> well, people people responded ridiculously well to it. I think I think it because for the whole of the campaign, I seem to have lost a lot of my my own kind of normal personality. I was mm. so focused on policy and getting <laughs> stuff done and getting talking to people. You know the the bog standard election mm. politiciany stuff. That you do, you you kind of you kind of lose a little bit of your personality, especially with the fact that it was my first time ever running for election or getting involved in party politics for that matter. So I was a little bit worried about how I portrayed myself. But when I posted that up, the amount of people who thought it was hilarious, like I had comments like, this is the best way to respond to people vandalizing your posters. It's great mm. to see a politician with a sense of bloody humor for once. Uh, like... Because, like, it's like I said, I had almost lost a massive aspect of my personality. Like, at one point throughout the campaign, I was being accused of being homophobic. What was the justification for that? Uh, I, d- I, I don't actually know what the justification was, but it, but it was there. And... <laughs> And it, but when when it, when that person called me homophobic, I actually looked. Now, it, to be honest, it, like there is there is times when other gay people can be homophobic, so I'm not going to completely mm. brush over that the whole mm. internalized homophobia bull. But that's not what it was. When I looked over my whole kind of previous posts and the political image I had put out there. There was nothing about my sexuality. Not that there needs to be anything about my sexuality yeah, yeah. or anything like it, but it had just it it was it, it was like I had just kind of completely pushed that aspect of myself to the side. Now it's not it's not all I am or everything I am mm. to be honest. But it like I mean it is a part of me. It's it's part of who shaped yeah, me. As, yeah. It's part of what shaped me as a person. So. But it was it was just it, it, like the, the reaction was ridiculous. Like, I think there was um, three quarter of a million uh, reach on Facebook and over a million impressions on Twitter. Like it was on six or seven different American news sites. It was on an Indian news site. It was on two or three of them in the UK. It was in Australia. Like I got a call from a friend of mine in Australia asking me why I was on a local news site over there because my posters were vandalized. Jesus. Uh, like she, like obviously she was like, "Can you just, can you just not stick to the one town, please?" Like, <laughs> <laughs> you get around, Chris. <laughs> Cheek now. She's like, "You're giving, <laughs> you're giving politicians over here bad names when they're giving out about their posters being vandalized." <laughs> there was a couple of comments on it there saying, "I looked about sixty years older." Like, so my like my poster looked about sixty years younger than how I looked as a person standing right beside it. To be fair, I hadn't got my hair done. I was just after finishing a canvas. My beard was all over the place. That's the excuse I'm going to use. <laughs> but like it was, you had to have the beard, no? No, no. Well, uh, I don't know. I don't. Know. If I if I look back on when I was younger, yeah, I had I had mm. some. Uh, I I did have some like girlfriends who I would have who would have known I was gay, but 
helped me yeah. kind of hide it from other people so there was yeah, yeah. I don't think having the most like I, I could have the most attractive woman in the world on my side and I don't think it would hide the fact that I'm gay anymore like I'm I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've, yeah. I've, I've, I've had friends tell me that the only closet I was ever in was a glass closet that they could see right through so <laughs> just to touch on that Chris and it's something I would have seen a lot in, in uh, gay clients of that kind of pretending to be straight uh, growing up did, 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 did was that something you you went you went along with was or as you said was it a, this this glass closet that you were in or did you try to kind of go along with the facade or you know when when for you did you become aware that you were gay and then was it something you hid or Oh, firstly, when you're saying that you had gay clients, perhaps you should reiterate the fact that you're a, like a psychologist or a counsellor or whatever you are. Uh, it's like a therapist. Like a <laughs> whatever you are. <laughs> <laughs> right, now I get it. Or, or whatever it is you are. As, a, uh, as maybe, a psychotherapist when I had gay clients. <laughs> there we go. That sounds better. Cheers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I suppose, I, like, looking back on my childhood, it's, it's, it's a strange one for me because, like, I always always knew like I always knew there was something different about me like I was the kid in school who wanted to be on the girls kiss chasing team not the boys kiss chasing team <laughs> right um so that should have been an indication to a lot of people I think um mm. I kind of I first knew um I first kind of knew what gay was when a couple moved in down the road from um the family home when we lived in Tala and for me, like back then, like I'd say I was maybe 11, 12 back then. But the only thing we ever heard about that couple was that you needed to cross the street when you were walking in front of their house. You didn't go anywhere near their house, all of these kind of things. So there was there, there was the associations, the assumptions and the intonations that like they were they were they were predators and pedophiles. So for me. This Which was a gay couple that, that lived yeah, down the road, was it? Christopher? Yeah, it was a gay couple that lived down the road when we were when we were in Tala, and like they were by no means pedophiles or predators in any way. Um, it just so happened very much that kind of mentality of you know if you're if you know that whole gay thing and and that pedophile association mm-hmm. keep the kids yeah. safe kind of thing, you know. Yeah, and like I mean, and for me at that age, that's that's kind of what that's kind of what formed that beautiful glass closet mm. that I had built around myself. What like, age were you at the time, Chris? I was eleven, twelve, maybe. Oh, okay, right. Well, very so much like I, puberty and adolescence mm, and everything that goes along well, with that at the best of times. You know, hitting puberty at eleven, my father had died pretty early on when I was 11 as well so there was there was abandonment issues from losing my father there was the fact that mm. I I puberty was hitting and I knew I knew something was different where other where other lads were walking down the road and they might see I don't know a sexy lamppost and it would cause arousal I was I was seeing I was seeing the small little hole on the sexy lamppost and thinking that was arousing <laughs> but like like it was it was it was just it was the different ways in which my peers and I interacted it was the different like it was how they spoke about finding girls like attractive and stuff like that and I I actually couldn't relate to it mm. like the, how they were talking was not something that like you, you like you know how how young lads are they're like oh she's yeah, sexy yeah, she's yeah. this she's that yeah, yeah. and they, those words just like for me it was like are they okay uh fair mm. enough uh mm. whatever <laughs> 
Did you, did you um, ever go along with it, Chris, as, as a means to fit in? Or, you know, was it was it always just, you know, no, you, you knew definitely. And I, I've adult clients that, that, you know, aren't openly out and they will still mm-hmm. go along with it. Oh, yeah, look at the arse on your one and this kind of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, I, like, I mean, I absolutely did. Um, even had even had girlfriends back then. Mm-hmm. Um, because the last thing you wanted, the last thing you wanted to be do to do was to be caught out for being gay because there was there was a young lad there was another young lad in our class and he was he was quite overt like he was quite camp he was quite out mm-hmm. there he was quite comfortable with who he was mm. and the beatings he used to get the torture he used to get the bullying he used to get mm-hmm. and like I mean I, I look back on that now and I'm, to be honest like I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed of myself that I never stood up and said anything because uh, like I mean I look back and I'm kind of like well maybe had I have stood up and said something Mm-hmm. like power in numbers or whatever but like I mean I was a kid things happen yeah, exactly yeah. yeah and funny and, enough and, it was and, something we mentioned on a, a previous podcast Chris I don't know if you heard it but it was about you know normal people and adolescents and that kind of thing and you know we spoke about bullying and the fact that you're not really going to stand up for somebody who's getting bullied in school because if you stand up for somebody and the person doing a bullying is a friend of yours or a mate you're going to be kicked out of group. Yeah. You're going to be kicked out of tribe. You're going to be, you know, you're going to be told, well, fuck off and hang out with them. So is what you'll be told, yeah. you know. So I don't think it's anything to be guilty about. Absolutely. And I suppose, like, I mean, when you look at any kid, all they want is somewhere to belong. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and unfortunately, some, like for some chill, like for some young people, if you step out of line and you stand up to the bullies, mm-hmm. you no longer have a place to belong anymore. And when you're absolutely. a gay kid... Yeah. When you're a gay kid, it's even harder because you're terrified, and I mean terrified, that somebody is going to cop that you're gay. Mm. I know I was. Yeah. Obviously, when you get into adolescence and you realise, oh, hold on for a second, I don't feel the same way the lads do. I feel a bit different or uh, I'm not attracted to, uh, to women. I'm mm. attracted to men. At what point did you actually realise that, Chris? Hmm. <sighs> First time I realized I was attracted to men, I'd say I was maybe 13, 14. Like, I mean, other people have this assumption that, that being gay is all about having sex. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's an internal, like, it's a feeling. It's, it's, it's a part of who you are. Like, I mean, you can be attracted to something or someone without having sex with them. So, yeah, yeah. like, I mean, at around 13 or 14 is when it would have really kind of like I, I had had kind of thoughts when I was younger oh maybe I'm this maybe I'm that maybe I'm this yeah. like I had gone I run the gamut of the things you could possibly be um, so coming coming to the realisation like in and around then was a big thing for me because there were still those thoughts in my head that being gay was disgusting that being gay was wrong that it was just, it was not something anybody should be. Was that an opinion you internalised, Chris? Was that something you picked up from other people? Was it an attitude in the home? Well, like, I mean, look look at the group of people I was hanging out with that, that were constantly yeah. picking on somebody for yeah. being slightly effeminate. Uh, look at the words that were said around me in relation to a gay couple that lived down the road. Mm-hmm. Now, they didn't, they, didn't, they didn't really come from family, but mm. hearing people say these things around family and family not challenging them led yeah, me to exactly. believe that my family had the exact same opinions, mm. which in later That's years I discovered wasn't true. But mm. <laughs> but, but that is the impact of mm. that not said having as much mm. of an impact as that what is said. Yeah. Of, you yeah. know, no one going, well, just because they're gay, that doesn't mean they're 
paedophiles or child molesters or mm-hmm. you know anything like that mm-hmm. you know not 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 saying something is you know sends a, sends a message as well and you know not uh, not talking about sex sends a message in the home as well yeah, and especially especially to young people because mm-hmm. like it's 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 like bullying if if somebody doesn't stand up for you you assume they're just as big a bully so yeah. if if you're sitting in your own home and somebody saying something to your parents about what like what now your parents don't know you think that's what you are but they're saying like to you they're saying things about you to your own parents and your parents are saying nothing mm-hmm. like it's it's it, it, like it can be heartbreaking i suppose like i mean there's 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 also the added issue that that in and around the same time i i had actually chosen to come out to someone mm. um which I look back and it was the, it was the wrong decision at the time because that person then chose to use the fact that I had told them and only them and they knew that I wanted to keep it I wanted to keep it a secret and didn't want to tell anybody um they used that to coerce and like coerce me into having sex with them well the first the first time may may have been my own choice but like consecutively it was it was a matter of oh yeah but sure like i mean I know and you're comfortable with me and it was it was a manipulation tactic almost was it an instant thing or was there an element of, of, of grooming toward it in the first place I, I see I don't know I, I don't I honestly don't know I don't because I look back and I'm like okay I told this person because they were nice to me because they were kind to me because they they were talking to me and some people may view that as grooming and to be honest looking back and it yeah it probably was grooming but I've I've never really, I've never really um, taken the time to think about it too much because I just kind of, I kind of want to keep moving. And then there's the yeah. uh, there's the added fact that there's a stigma there that mm. I've heard I've heard fired at other gay men who are told, "Asher, you weren't raped. You were gay. Obviously, you liked it." Mm. Like every time you hear somebody else saying that it makes it even harder to actually talk about it because Mm. you're, you're always worried that if you, if you stand up and you speak about these kind of things that you're going to get people going, Oh, would you stop? Like, I mean, it was just, uh, yeah, you're you're just looking back and and you're regretting it. So you're calling it something that it wasn't, but Mm. it was a situation where I trusted somebody. It was a situation where now that trust may have been developed as a result of them grooming me or not. Mm. like I said many would just say it was grooming I, I don't honestly know because <laughs> yeah. I haven't given it enough thought what happened what, what preceded that the the like the first time we had sex was it, it may have like it was it was a conscious decision I had made but it was a conscious decision as a result of manipulation I didn't realise was happening at the time this was an older male Chris wasn't it yeah was this an adult Chris and you were still a minor yeah. yes oh, it okay. was indeed um, so and then and then you have to like the the, the internalized hatred of myself was even further kind of like magnified because I had heard all these stories about that gay couple who lived down the road mm-hmm. and then this shit happened to me so oh my god maybe everybody's right and maybe that is what I am too so I despised me I despised every other gay man out there like I, I just I couldn't like that's 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 what it had led to and i didn't i didn't even i didn't think it was a 
I didn't think it was a bad thing to be like, oh, you yeah, know, that's what they are. Like, mm. I didn't think it was okay for them to be that. I didn't think it was okay for me to be that. I wasn't that. But I had this assumption that I was because it was it was almost like everything had come full circle. Like, hearing the lads down the road were pedos, which they weren't. And, like, I mean, mm. I've spoken to them years since, and they're lovely, lovely lads. Thank, mm. Like, thank God I grew out of that self-hatred phase. But, but, like, I mean, that self-hatred phase took a long, long time to get out of. And it was a result of trusting somebody and, and think, to be honest, like, like I look back on it now and it's like I like the, the, the fact that as a kid I thought I loved him <laughs> is laughable because it's well it's not laughable that as a kid that's what I thought because yeah, exactly. like I mean yeah. well like kids brains are screwed up half of the time anyway mm. and when you have a person when you have a person who thinks cares who you think cares about you manipulating you that's all you're going to think how would he manipulate you? Uh, there, 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 there'd be there'd be different conversations around. Oh, but like I mean, now Chris, like it's it's only you and me. Only you and I know this. Only like it would be there'd be intonations there that if I didn't, other people would find out mm-hmm. that he would tell somebody. Now I look back in it now, and I'm like, there's no way he would have fucking told anybody. Mm. <laughs> But yeah. when but again, when you're a kid, that, that mind space of a child. Yeah, it's it's like it's like it's like when it's like when paedophiles and groomers say to people, if you tell anybody, I'll kill your parents. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. they're probably not going to kill their parents, but it you doesn't mean. Yeah, yeah, child does not. And, yeah. and there and there's no way I could take the chance of, and and this this is how twisted he had my head. There's no way that I could take the chance that he was going to tell my parents and my parents were going to stop loving me because I was gay. That's 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 how my that's where my head was at that time that I like, but not even my parents, my mother. That's what I was worried about. I was worried that this man was going to tell my parents what was going on between me and him. Mm. And in my head, instead of them going, okay, he is clearly a pedophile. In my head, what they were going to go for was, okay, you're gay, you're as bad as him, get out of our house. Mm. Mm. Yeah. You'd mentioned after your after your dad had died, or you know the mm. abandonment around that. You know, do you think was there any part kind of looking for that older male figure to fill that void, or? Um, I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know. I'm, I'm starting to feel like I'm more in a counselling session now than I am in a podcast. So I'm gonna I'm gonna use humour to deflect as I always yeah, do. That's okay. Uh, that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. I recognise my deflection at least. Yeah. Um, but yeah, honestly, there there probably was a situation where I was looking for a male influence mm-hmm. in my life, mm-hmm. um, and and that that led me to a situation where I was at risk. I'm not going to say I put myself at risk because I was a fucking mm. child. So uh, it it may have led me to a situation where I was at risk. And mm. even like even even past that and and you, coming back into the manipulation and the coercion and all of this kind of stuff, even after I'd gotten myself away from him and eventually came out, um like I came out at the age of 17, which was unheard of and I had kind of run away to college to do it. But even then, even after I came out, and even 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 as an adult, um, I continued to engage in 
like I continue to put myself into like as an adult I put myself into situations where oh how do I even describe them they were just they, they were just unhealthy relationships yeah, or yeah, yeah. or like unhealthy sexual practices mm. or positions where I would be putting myself at risk or the age old issue of somebody who has suffered any kind of trauma in their life the yeah. the situation of trying to fix someone which is which is always a fun one you mentioned there about your relationships there chris i've often mm. heard that people who you know keep something like that to themselves for a number of years they tend to befriend people who aren't really their friend or they never really ask how they're doing or ask too many questions about a personal life did you ever find that absolutely okay. 100% i mean i most definitely done that regularly i would i would it would either be a case of I would make friends with people who wouldn't ask questions or who had enough of their own problems that I could kind of help them focus on theirs and they'd leave me alone. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Or I would just move through friend groups really quickly. So, like, I mean, I, I have Fear one... Of being found out, Chris, is it? Yeah, like, I've, I've one friend that, like, I've had for years now. Her name is Kelly. I've been trying to get rid of her, but she knows too much and she won't let me go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're very likable, Chris. Like, but, like, but, but see, but the, the, thing about, the thing about me is that, and I, I know him, I'm very aware of it. I use humour and I use, like, kind of my amiable nature to deflect mm. from all of this kind of pain and trauma that that is there and I'm, I'm aware of it I just I choose to ignore it which is not healthy but it's what I choose and my body my choice mm. um, <laughs> <laughs> it is like I mean it's exactly what we do we well it's exactly yeah. what I do anyway I'm not going to speak for oh, everyone no, you're, you're not alone in it I mean I think you can and we, we've spoken about it before on, on the podcast of Irish people and, and using uh, using humour as a defence mechanism you know we're, we're great at it we'll we, we can't deal with discomfort, so we'll so we'll try mm-hmm. and knock a bit of crack out of it. Mm, yeah, mm. and look, and this is what you know coping mechanisms are for to to help us to to help us to cope. Just wanted to go back on something you'd mentioned there, Chris, just for you know for people that may be listening that may not be aware when we, when we talk about grooming. So very often, what happens with uh, around child sexual abuse is the older adult grooms the the child into it. So you know it's very rarely um, a situation where they just go straight into the into the sexual abuse. Mm. It starts off with, you know, it might be buying them sweets or buying them little presents or, you know, including them into these little secrets. Oh, this is our little secret. Now, don't tell your mum you had them sweets. Uh, and then it, 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 it starts to, the ante starts to rise a little bit. They might hold the hand that little bit longer or the, the hand gets placed on the top of the leg. Just just trying to test those boundaries to see, to see where it goes and then you know it's pushed and it's our little secret and oh this you know because this is this is our thing now and you know if you tell your mammy she'd be very upset with you and this kind of stuff of oh if you tell that and then you know they knew and then something might happen your mammy or your daddy and then then the fear comes in by by means of control and and the fear that was uh, i suppose held over you then chris with with the fact of well you know i'll i'll tell mm. And what I suppose what what you're describing there is actually pretty much exactly what happened to me. So yeah, I'm just gonna go ahead there and, and just name it as grooming now, because okay. like no, it wasn't it wasn't necessarily sweets or anything like that. I had yeah, it yeah. was it was more like oh, he'd let me drink, or yeah, yeah, exactly yeah yeah you know like he'd let me I suppose behave like an adult. So so like I mean that it, it, it's essentially exactly what it was, and and when people say oh something might happen to your mommy or daddy and like I mean mm-hmm. even the fear, like I yeah. suppose for me, 
the fear was and like I mean it was losing my parents like it, it may not have been losing them in the classic sense like some people say that yeah. like groomers or paedophiles will threaten the life of a parent yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Had, had I have been outed as far as I was concerned mm. nobody would ever want me again yeah, mm. that's, that's it and you're disowned and well you're not well, how do you survive then on your own and, yeah. I mean mm-hmm. lo- losing that losing that of a parent is that, I mean that's as great as it comes for a child mm. Chris who was the first person you told about the abuse uh, Twitter really yeah <laughs> was, this, was this a few weeks ago Chris yeah that was it oh wow yeah <laughs> um, I suppose like I mean part of the reason why I put it up on Twitter is because um, the Me Too movement had kicked off again mm, mm, mm. Um, and the last time the last time I had stayed stayed very 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 silent um, and it wasn't a case of I didn't support the movement or I didn't believe any of the women out there it was more a case of I just I couldn't I, I couldn't yeah. talk about it every time I tried to talk like I mean the tweet I put out a couple of weeks ago is a tweet that I have like it's a tweet that I've had in the back of my head it's a conversation that I've had in the back of the, my head it's a phone call that I've had in the back of my head with so mm-hmm. many people but it's just never ever happened um, and my own niece my own niece is a, is a survivor of um, of, of abuse Mm. And seeing her on Twitter talking about it honestly and openly and seeing seeing how much it was helping people that she was that she was kind of standing out there just kind of it, it gave me that that final kind of kick in the teeth to go right. Come on now. Mm-hmm. It may not have been the best way to do it, but it's done. <laughs> What what it's, was the it, reaction to it then, Chris? Or how, how? Well, first of all, how did you feel after putting it out there? I shat myself. Um, I was I was honest. I was honestly terrified. I was terrified that somebody was going to see it and and make it out that I was I was a liar. I was terrified that um, somebody was going to see it and pity me. Um, I, why, I was, why would that I, like, be so bad, Chris? I don't like being pitied. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> That's that's not the person I've built I'll myself up to be. I'll go further into that one. Yeah, that's 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 <laughs> not the person I've built myself up to be, and that is not the mm. person. That's that's not the persona that I portray to people. And if people begin to pity me, people begin to question. Not not everything like not everything I've always done, but they begin to question if I'm okay, if mm. I can continue doing things, and. Am I okay? No. Can I continue to do things? Yes, I've been doing it for long enough. You you, you learn, um, and coping mechanisms are there for very specific reasons. And mm-hmm. some people, for some people, coping mechanisms are they they turn them and they use them in like in a way to campaign and champion other people. And I suppose that's partially what I've done. But the 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 reaction I actually got on the tweet now it's it's interesting that i talk about the tweet because i still i haven't talked i haven't spoken about it on facebook um mm. which is where more people who actually know me would be yeah 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 <laughs> like twitter twitter is my like there, there'd be a group of people on twitter who would know me like personally mm. but and i it's it's not on facebook where the people i live near are on <laughs> mm. yeah, yeah yeah so do but your family really know chris uh, no, my niece knows. 
Is it something you will talk to them about eventually, or are you happy enough to kind of keep them at an arm's distance for now? Or they can stay at arm's distance. Mm. Well, see, the the thing, uh, the, the, like my family, unfortunately, the majority of us have all been victims of sexual assault as children. So the last thing they need is my crap. But it's also to use your word, their their crap. Yeah, but they have their crap. I can deal with their crap and my crap. They can't deal with their crap and my crap. So you're the one that has to be strong. Yeah, listen, I uh, it, I've always been that person. I was the person. I was the person when, like, when my when my father passed away, that was making sure my mother was okay. I've always been that person. It's not a good place to be in. Mm-hmm. It's it's it, it's a very lonely place to be in. I'll be completely honest. Yeah. Um. Even even down to the fact that like you have you you'll have these conversations with people and they be like oh and how's your sister and how's your brother and how are they doing and how is this doing and rarely does anybody ever actually ask how you are <laughs> mm. because there's there's this portrayed you're the strong one you're the you you know how to look after yourself you know how to take care of yourself and I I've kind of built myself up to be that person mm. as a result of not being able to look after myself as a result of not being able to rely on other people. And and part of that is because I put myself in a position where I didn't trust anybody enough to mm. rely on them because of what had happened in the past. Well, but, and another part of it. Did trust someone. Exactly. And when you're when you're a teenager and uh, like when you're when you're young and the your bonds of trust and on all of that kind of stuff are just forming in your head and the first bond of mm. actual trust outside of your family Mm. is broken in such a way it's really really hard to trust anyone yeah understandable yeah were, were you the eldest in the family Chris? no uh, youngest boy but the middle child okay I have two older brothers one older sister well I'm not even the middle child I'm, I'm, I, I don't even get to be a proper middle child I have two <laughs> older brothers one older sister and two younger sisters It was it was a fun childhood uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's that humour again, Chris. No, on it, like I mean, outside outside of the trauma, it was a fun yeah, childhood. Yeah. Mm. Outside of the trauma, it was a fun fun. Like it was, it was a good childhood. My mother, unfortunately, when my father passed away, needed needed quite a lot of help, and somebody had to. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was never pushed on me that I had to help her, but it, it's almost like I pushed it on myself, kind of a thing. Because yeah, I yeah, was yeah, the yeah. Yeah. essentially, I became the oldest. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I'm very, regularly very hard though, Chris, for, for, for people that have been so used to playing that role that, you know, to look after yourself is, is very often deemed as selfish. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. And especially, but even, and I suppose it's not necessarily the public's opinion that it would be selfish. That would mm. get me. It would be my own opinion of myself. Oh, yeah. That's, that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. For, for mm. anyone that's been the fixer, that's been the, you know, the go to for other people that to actually you know to look after yourself I'm grand like, let's look after you let's look after you you know don't worry about me I, I'll be grand oh yeah this this was argued with me when I I was talking to a friend of mine Martin Beans Ward about actually coming on and speaking to you on this podcast and he's like what are you doing I was like what do you mean he's like he's like, what are you doing like are, are you okay talking about this can you deal with talking about this are you sure you're fine with this and I'm like mm. no but it might help someone but like it's 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 like am I okay with with, with yeah. talking about this not 100% nobody's ever going to be 100% talking no, about not. something like this but will 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 me speaking honestly and openly about all the self-loathing I felt for myself about mm-hmm. all of these horrendous things about I, I felt for myself help somebody who's possibly 
felt those exact same things and think they're the only one who's felt them. Maybe. And that's all I need. Yeah. Yeah. You're trying to help somebody else. What do you do to help yourself? Stuff. Uh, and things. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so do you have... a cigarette um, or a joint you're, you're, you're lighting up like in here? <laughs> <laughs> I was a cigarette. I don't smoke weed. I, I've no issues with it, but I don't smoke it. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Do you have um, coping mechanisms or, or things you do to kind of, I don't know, maybe repress the memory of the abuse? Or is it something you're able to ignore? Well, up until now, I had a really, really good coping mechanism. And that was forgetting it ever happened and not talking about it. Um, and I've kind of fucked that one up. Did it do you any good, though, Chris? Just yes. never speaking about it, really? It worked. It, it, it meant that I could just get on and do things <laughs> mm. and like like a lot of the like for me a lot of the time it's not about whether it it's it's a like it's not about whether it's a good coping mechanism it's whether the coping mechanism works for what i want it to work for yeah, yeah exactly and, and not talking it. about it and burying it worked but uh, now i'm talk talking about, about it now chris how do you feel about it <laughs> actually a lot better which is strange because i never thought i would feel okay talking about it Never. Then they're not talking about us. I mean, very often, you know, for uh, survivors of sexual abuse, there's, there's a, an immense amount of shame. Um, was that an element for yourself? Despite um, being the child and having done no wrong, they, the, the, the child internalizes that shame. Was that something you experienced? Growing up, certainly. And, and it's, it's what kind of led me to, to put myself in in relationships that were not good for me um, yeah. because like, I mean, a lot of the time I felt like the level of shame I was feeling was I felt that's all I deserved anyway. So, so there, so there was, there was a lot of that shame and that kind of repressed bullshit that caused me to kind of go, ah, sure. Ah, this is, this is what I deserve. Sure. Just, just get yeah, on with yeah. it. Just deal with it. Yeah. And we mentioned that last week on the episode about, or about self-esteem and, you know, when with with that kind of upbringing, it, it 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 does very often lead to dysfunctional relationships, abusive relationships, because because of that very thing you mentioned. Well, this is what I deserve, and sure, who else would have me? Or, mm, yeah. so this is the best I could get. I'm damaged goods. Kind of- yeah, and like I mean, but but looking, and I I suppose I I would have I like I mean I've I've come across quite a few people who have been survivors of survivors or victims whichever word they choose to to describe mm-hmm. themselves as mm-hmm. i choose to describe myself as a survivor mm-hmm. because not everybody makes it through mm-hmm. um yeah. but i I've, I've i've spoken to a lot more lately um and i suppose part of that would be because i'm friends with linda hayden um because like i mean she she does a lot of work in kind of the anti-sexual violence and stuff like that but I suppose the advice I was giving to people that it wasn't your fault. The yeah. come on, we'll 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 get you somebody to talk to. We'll yeah. we we can work through this. You're not damaged goods. You're not this. You're not that. I suppose the fact that I was telling, I've been telling so many people that lately, it it's it's accidentally sunk into my own head as well at the same time. Mm-hmm. So it's it's like I inadvertently uh, cancelled myself somehow. You heard, you heard your own advice. Yeah, I'm putting you out of a job. Uh. <laughs> Cheers, Chris. <laughs> Chris, did you um, 
did you ever confront the abuser? No. Is it something you would consider doing? No. Never. <laughs> it, I don't need to. Um, I just, I don't need to. Um, it may it may be something I, I might need to do in the future, some sort of, re, re, I don't know, what's it called? Repair, restorative justice or something mm. like that. Mm. But right now, no. In the past, did I ever think about doing it? Yeah. No. Alan, you might be able to tell us a little bit more about this, but um, I've heard that you know, victims of abuse will often feel guilt for never confronting the abuser or telling the police, telling the guards, in yeah, case well, that, you know, this is happening to somebody else as well. It, it can be there, but... I, mean, I didn't feel often. guilt until now, thanks for that. Sorry, Chris. Let <laughs> <laughs> me, me give you a few, few sessions after this, Chris. On the <laughs> it's, 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 it's great to see that you're re-traumatising me, thanks. Um, <laughs> well, you were supposed to be alright, Chris, this is why we had the conversation. Yes, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Don't no, be but I mean, I, I mean, many things around and, you know, if you get me started on Tusla and, you know... Uh, trying to encourage people to go to them and I think they've got like a 4% conviction rate or something like that for, for historical abuse mm-hmm. um, it's you know why do you, why would you open that up like yeah 4% of cases by two that lead to a conviction so mm. for, for many people it's like well why would I do that to my family and then what can also happen is particularly if it's familial abuse of someone within the family they tell someone and then it's brushed under the carpet Mm. Yeah. this is why it's been so pervasive in Irish society uh, we, don't, we don't talk about it you know shut up now you don't be, you don't be yeah, saying yeah. that to anyone and um, you get into all of that then so I did tell someone and they didn't do anything about it and I, and I was shut up so if, if I'm telling that to the people that are saying they love me and they care about me and they're not doing anything about it then why would why would the Gardaí do anything about it why okay. would Tusa do anything about it um, so y- you there's too many elements mm. far too many elements Crazy. and you know and, and which is why I don't believe the statistics around uh, sexual abuse because I think it's higher yeah and I think it's a lot higher because very often I'm the first person anyone's ever told about it. right it's something that's very common in the country isn't it well it's one, around one the world. in four I mean that, that was the that was yeah. the that was the yeah the statistics are one in four yeah but mm. uh, I, I read something else then where uh Thirty percent of Irish women said they've been sexually abused as children. Um, that and that's in comparison to seventeen percent in Europe, and then in men, five percent in Europe, seven percent in North America, and then twenty four percent of men. So I mean, you're not going to get the real numbers. And then mm. for for yourself, Chris, obviously, as as two men, we, we what we're trying to address on this is that men and trying to get them to open up and to be mm-hmm. you know, more more emotionally expressive and stuff and this is why we had yourself on because you know as a male open about sexual abuse you know yours is not a voice we hear very often the no and sexual mm-hmm. abuse like and, and and even and to be honest like i mean even when i do hear the male voices talking about sexual abuse more often than not it's gay men I've rarely yeah. heard the voice of a straight man. And and that, that worries me a little bit too, because yeah, yeah. like, I mean, while, while some people may relate to my story and may relate to me talking about this, the fact that I'm gay may actually kind of go, oh yeah, but that's not me. So it might help some, but it won't help all. It yeah, was, it was never going to help like, all in the first like, place. Regardless but Regardless of sexual preference, like you're, you're, you're a man that has experienced this. 
mm-hmm. you know, generally it, it, it tends to be so much compounded then for men of the shame around it. Or oh, she were a man or she were a lad, you should have been able to fight him off or yeah, you know, and, and any yeah. any victims will will hear that. No, there's like I mean, there is there's there's a massive massive stigma around it, but even even like even even at that, on top of all of that pervading stigma that's there, when you're an openly gay man who's been abused, and you come out and talk about it, you can be damn sure you will get people saying, oh, "But I'm sure you liked it." You can be damn sure you'll get it. I've seen, like, I've seen people say it to other people. When I was homophobically attacked, even here in Newbridge, um, back when I was maybe, what age was I, maybe 17, 18, 19, I'm not sure, one of the three, um, and I went to speak to the guards about it, I was told if I didn't want to be attacked for being gay, I shouldn't flaunt it. The guards told you that? A guard told me that, yeah. So why the... why would I bother telling anyone anything? Yeah, yeah. And if that's if that's something that was clearly a physical attack on somebody, why the fuck would I tell somebody about a sexual assault? Yeah. Mm. Or or even abuse as like as a kid. Like I mean, wh- how could I ever tell anybody that when, as an adult, I approached the guards about an actual physical assault and essentially was told it was my fault by guard? Mm. At any time in your life, have you been? truly able to be yourself because never um like i mean i suppose gay pride possibly um power in numbers and all that jazz yeah yeah safety in numbers um but but uh, like the only time i could ever think of that i kind of let loose would have been then but even then the most recent gay pride last year i had to self-monitor myself for a different reason now I'm a politician. No, it comes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't be making a show of myself in public as a politician. Mm. Is homophobic abuse something you put up with on a regular basis, Chris? Every fucking day. Every day. <laughs> Every goddamn day. How? Um, it could be because I have a political opinion somebody doesn't agree with, and I'll be called a traitorous faggot. Only recently, I. So throughout the pandemic, I've been supporting kind of homeless people who've been sleeping rough and people who have uh, addiction issues and stuff like that. So I was going up and kind of down the town. I was bringing them kind of like care packs. But as part of those care packs, I also had uh, a sharps disposal bin with me and was exchanging their dirty needle for a clean needle. Uh, As a result of talking about the fact that I was doing that, I was called a junkie loafing faggot. Anything that that can be prefaced faggot. Is what you will be. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 just one of those words that they can slip in there anywhere they like. Um mm. or even even down to calling me soft because of certain things or but but Chris, you know other men don't think like that or oh but sure that's just the way that's just mm. the way you people are. That like I mean people. that shit is homophobia yeah. too. I'm a lot kinda more I'm a lot kind of more secure in who I am, so those things don't necessarily bother me as much. But mm. I can only imagine what somebody who's less secure in who they like yeah. how much that shit gets to somebody else. Chris, what do you think is the mentality behind somebody who hurls homophobic abuse at somebody? Because I've heard that people who do that are generally closet gay people. I've 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 heard that phrase quite a number of times, and uh, I suppose if you look back on 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 my past, uh, it was the case. 
Okay. Like, I mean, I, 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 I was, I was quite homophobic. I hurled homophobic slurs because the best way for somebody to think that you're not one of them is to yeah, yeah attack yeah. them. Is, yeah, is to attack Both. one yeah, of them yeah. kind of a thing. Yeah, it's like it's it's the yeah, mentality. So what, you're talk, what you're talking about there, from a, from a psychological point of view, is what what Carl Jung would call the shadow. Um, mm. So the shadow is the the kind of inferior side of our of our personality that that we can't own within ourselves. So that which we hate within ourselves, we project onto other people because we can't own it. So that very much as Chris has been talking about the, the you know the mm. self loathing and the, the homophobia around uh, being being gay himself. Mm-hmm. So to, to have that from other people have gone well, yeah. Very often that that can be the case. That's right. Sometimes, sometimes there is like I mean I I like I'm I'm not going to speak for every homophobe out there, um, mm. because I wouldn't dare they'd be telling me that I, I wasn't <laughs> saying what they wanted me to say. Mm. But like there there are there are instances where yes there are people who who hurl homophobia and homophobic slurs and all of this kind of stuff because it's it's something and sometimes it can be a case of they're gay and they're they're hurling it because they hate the fact that they're gay yeah. or sometimes it can just be because they're so bloody they're they're so uncomfortable with who they are as a person now that may not yeah. be gay or anything like it but because yeah, they yeah. see somebody who's comfortable with who they are they have to attack them on that i love the way you deal with it and it was something that Alan pointed out uh, on a previous episode. What was it called? Powerment, disempowerment? Yeah, it's, it takes the power out of it. Mm. It's uh, a reclamation of the word, like of the mm. word or, or or owning the issue. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I think my, my mother, <laughs> my, my, like my mother would have described it better when, when we were younger. And it was like, she would, she would talk about, well, if you own who you are, they can't really bully you for it. Just something I'm wondering about there, Alan. Do abusers, do they justify to themselves why they're doing it or how do they live with themselves, basically? Well, very often it's a, very often it's about power. I mean, as, as Chris mentioned, the Me Too movement. I mean, that was all about power. We hear about, you know, the likes of Harvey Weinstein or, you know, Trump, even before he was elected. Oh, you fucking go up and grab him by the pussy and they love mm. that. Like, very often, and it's the same with sex, you know, or sexual assault. It's, very often it's not about, it's not about sex. It's about, it's about power. It's okay. about control. Mm. Can abusers actually be rehabilitated? Mm. <laughs> what do you think, Chris? Uh, oh, uh, I, I okay. think they can know it's wrong. Whether whether mm. that stops them from continuing to be abusers, no. I, I, that that I don't know. When you think about it, like um, you know, obviously Jimmy Savile was one of the biggest monsters I've ever heard of in my life, but it raised millions and millions and millions for charity. And this, this is the thing as well, is that very often in, like, in situations like that, the likes of Jimmy Savile or, or many of these others, you'll very often hear of how they were an upstanding member of the community. Mm. Uh, you know, and they did all this charity work or they did this, whether it's priests, whether it's celebrities like that. Um, you know, and, and particularly in America, you hear of all these, you know, pastors and all that. And then, you know, op- Chris, I'm sure Chris is aware of it, openly homophobic and and then they're caught in, in, in a gay orgy yeah, or yeah. something like that. Yeah. How they portray themselves. Again, that's very much covering it up. But what sexual abusers are adept at is being likable and getting themselves into positions of trust mm. um, and, you know, portraying themselves to the parents of, ah, look, oh, looks, I just bought her that, you know, she was just, 
you know, we were down this shop, ah, not in this grand. Oh, geez, you don't be buying her things now. And yeah. it just, again, it's just, it's gradually, gradually developing right. that, that trust that gets them into that position then to just push the boundary. Yeah. Just hold I, the hand. I, I suppose ahead. what you, what, I suppose when you, when you talk about things like that, you talk about like the paragons of society or, or, mm-hmm. or the best people in society, like they're, or they were a pillar of the community or they done mm-hmm. so much for so many people. That in and of itself to me like and and I'm no psychotherapist or psychologist or anything fancy like that, mm. but that in and of itself to me is like them grooming society mm. for the oh, yeah. so so that society won't yeah. notice what they're doing. Yeah, they couldn't be a bad person. They raise money for charity. They do good things. Mm. Blah blah blah. Mm. Like, I, yeah. I have often said that you know the the, the ones that shine the brightest have the darkest shadow. I like that. Damn, one. that's deep. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you can have that one. <laughs> Just one last question, and again, it's not something you need to answer. But um, on on the tweet that you put up, you said your first assault was long before mm-hmm. you knew what sex was. Was that the say there was? many offenders or just multiple times with that individual uh, well multiple times with that individual but there there, there have okay. been other offenders um right uh, and, and those those have been in 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 different forms there's been there's been relationships where like i said i i got myself into some some kind of dodgy mm-hmm. situations Mm-hmm. Um, as a result, as a result of kind of my own kind of, I suppose, self hatred and loathing and all of this kind of shit and thinking I deserve nothing better. So there've been relationships um, where it has been an issue. There, there's been occasions where I, and this, and this is not to say that because I got drunk I deserved it, but there have been mm-hmm. situations where I have gotten myself into such a state that I've passed out in alleyways when I was right. younger. Yeah. Yeah. and and situations like that had happened um the the i suppose the the most recent one and i don't know like i wouldn't necessarily say it was like the, the i wouldn't necessarily say it was it was sexual assault in the relationship but what has what has transpired since that relationship is is to be honestly worse in in some regards um this is somebody i broke up with God, is it two years ago or three years ago now? Uh, <laughs> I can't, I can't, I'm not even, I, like, I can't even remember at this point how long ago it is. Like, this this is somebody who managed to convince me I was so in love with them that I actually fucked off to America with them. Um, Now, th- th- I say they managed to convince me I was so in love with them. I had a part to play in that too. Like, I mean, I honestly, like, I honestly did believe I was in love with them. And, like, I mean, it was going to be amazing, all of this kind of stuff. And and the relationship was good, but what transpired from the relationship, like I mean, now he had his issues with alcohol and stuff like that, um, and it's it's no excuse, but I knew it, and I thought I could fix him, again my my superhero complex, mm. um, but it was more it's more what's happened since and since we've broken up, um, I've I've received multiple emails from him telling me how he's going to rape me. I've received multiple emails from him telling me about how he knows where I live. He knows where my family live. He knows where everybody is. Um, and even he's, he's, he, he had even gone so far as to have somebody who lives in the locale take pictures of me going about my day 
to send them back to him so that he could then send them to me to make me think he was watching me. Oh, that is unreal. Yeah, and the the, the most on, recent... On that, Chris, you, hmm. uh, sorry, on, on that, I mean, if that was, uh, and, you know, this is something we also touch on again, you know, if you're, if you're to, re, to reverse genders and stuff, you know, in terms hmm. of abuse or something like that, you know, if that was a man doing that to a woman, there'd be hmm. a very different attitude toward it. I don't know that there would be. Okay. Do you think it'd be more societally accepted, perhaps? Uh, oh, it, it, like I mean, if if it were if it were a man doing it to a woman, I think if the woman mm. spoke out about it, it would instantly be for f- this is absolute craziness, mm. blah 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, like he's yeah. disgusting, he's a scumbag. Now I haven't spoken out about it publicly because, mm. like I mean, the most recent message I've gotten off of him was two weeks ago. Okay. Um, and what, what so was the nature of that then, Chris? Um, he sent me a video of him having sex with somebody else with the with the text of this is what I'm going to do to you. What what would we call that under any other guys? I don't know. I, I honestly stalking. it one hundred percent is stalking and it one hundred percent is online abuse. Not the summer not the summer just gone, the summer before that I happened to be up in Dublin um on a night out. Uh, was sitting having drinks with a friend I hadn't seen in a long time. Uh, now I, I I told my boss something different because um, I was actually supposed to be in work the following day, but the like I was sitting there having drinks with a friend of mine. I went out the front of the George in Dublin uh, to have a cigarette, and he was standing across the road from me. Now this is somebody who is actually American who lives in America, so for them to suddenly appear in front of me was terrifying. Mm. Mm. Is there uh, anything you reported? Um, I did. Um, I've well, I, I like I began the reporting procedure with the local Garda station here, um, mm-hmm. as it like to 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 try and even even just have it on record because the the actuality mm-hmm. is there's nothing they can actually do about it because he's not here. Um, now, like I mean, I've 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 printed off the emails and the like. I mean, the the I think it's like three hundred and something pages worth of emails and pictures and links to videos and all of this kind of stuff that he sent me. And they, they've been, they've, they've, they've like at the best, of, like it's, it's like one day he's threatening to kill me and rape me. And then the following day he's apologizing to me and telling me he still loves me. Then the following day he's sending abusive messages about my family. And then the day after that, he's back to loving me again. It, it wasn't like that when we were, mm. It wasn't like that when we were together, which for me is why, which like it was, it was why it kind of like in one regard, it came as a shock. In another regard, I wasn't surprised by it, which was really strange because I like I would never have considered myself who the, the type of person who would let myself get into that kind of a situation. Um, and even even looking back in his messages, which I like to torture myself with every so often, I don't know why. I, I, it's, it's like I want to check to make sure they're still there so I can still continue with the case. What was more terrifying to me was the fact that he managed to convince other people that I was the abusive one. He managed to get somebody so on side in the whole situation that they would take pictures of me walking through my own town to send to him. Because, like, obviously, as a politician, like, you have pictures up of where you're going or what you've been at or what you've done. Like even 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 the the funniness we were talking about earlier about the the poster vandalism, like I mean he sent me 
he sent me an email about that calling me uh what was it uh, i was a communal narcissist um that only a narcissist would put their face up on a poster when running for election uh it wasn't even my face uh, I'm ugly, decrepit and bucktooth, all of this kind of stuff. I'm not ugly, decrepit or bucktooth in any way, shape or form. I may not be classically handsome, but uh, I, you wouldn't kick me out of bed for eating digestive biscuits. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so let's leave it there. We hope you like what you heard. If so, give us a rating, subscribe, leave a comment. Or if you think someone you know would benefit from this podcast, then by all means, share it with them on your social media pages, because it could make a big, big difference in their lives. And as always, we'd love to hear from you. If there's anything you want us to cover or discuss, or if you've got a story to tell, we'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch by email, straighttalkingpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at STRA Talking Pod. We're on Facebook and we're on Instagram as well. You can follow the hashtag STMH. And don't forget as well, next week is going to be a special in-session recording. So in the meantime, if you want to get in touch and if you want to talk about your situation or if you've got a question about your mental health, then psychotherapist Alan Clark will do his best to answer you. So you can get in touch via email, straighttalkingpodcast at gmail.com or you can get us on the social media channels. Big shout out to Fiona Bryan as well for the podcast music. This dude is incredible. He is a beat maker. He is a producer. He is a... Ah, he's a sound lad as well. So you can get in touch with him on Facebook at FOB Beats. So what we normally do at the end of every podcast is I get Alan to give us an alternative inspirational quote. Now, this quote can range from anything from fuck it to don't kick yourself in the bollocks to throat punch anybody who tells you to man up. So this week, Chris, we're going to leave it with you. What's your alternative inspirational quote? My favourite alternative inspiration message is just chuck it in the fuck it bucket. Just chuck it in the fuck it bucket. You can you can keep going. Anybody can. Street.